I am thrilled to be here today with my wife, Corey, and our four kids. And I just want you to know right up front what an honor we think that it is to be here because we hear about your church all the time. Uh, Your pastors, JC and Kimberly, are some of our dearest friends, and we love them so much. They are incredible people. Well, Kimberly's incredible people. Pastor JC still got some work the Lord's doing on him. But uh, no, we're thankful for them. I'm thankful that today they're getting to get away, uh, recoup, regroup, refresh, and allow the Lord to prepare them to lead this incredible church into all that God has for it in this coming year of 2020. And so I'm thankful for that. They're getting some rest and uh, some R&R today. And so I'm thankful for that. But we love them, love their family, love the whole team. We, we know so many of this team over the last few years, gotten to know them. Uh, hello today to Pastor David and the Germantown family today. We're thankful for you. I love Pastor David, love the team there. Uh, but I, I'm just thankful for this church. You probably know this. I'm assuming that you do, but not every church is like Go Church. Uh, I don't know what your church history, church experience has been. Maybe you lived in a bubble your whole life and then you just showed up here. And so you think every church in the world is like this church, but that's just not true. There's not worship like this at a lot of churches. There's not preaching like you get on a regular basis uh, at a lot of churches. There's not kids ministry and next generation ministry. There's not outreach and missions and a heart for the lost like you have here at Go Church. And so you're blessed. If you love your church, you love your pastor, would you just give God a hand clap of praise today? Absolutely. You know, I, I tend to end every year about the same way. I, I don't know why I do this, but when I get to about Thanksgiving every year, uh, I tend to reflect. I tend to look back. I mean, when it's Thanksgiving, you, you, you have to give thanks, right? You, you got to think about all the things that you have to be thankful for. Our family has a tradition. Maybe you have something similar or maybe you've seen it done. But uh, around my, my uh, family, my dad's side of the family, my grandfather and grandmother started a tradition 40 plus years ago that around the Thanksgiving dinner table, once everyone's done eating, which takes a little time. We, we spend some time eating around the Thanksgiving table. But once that's over, then my grandfather will take a candle in his hand and he will light that candle and he will begin to talk about all that he has to be thankful for. He'll begin to recite the blessings of God over his life for that previous year. And I've now lived enough life in that family that I can just about tell you how it's gonna start every single year. He's gonna start by saying something like, I'm thankful for Jesus. And I'm thankful for the, that Jesus saved me when I was unsavable, it seemed. When I was somebody that, that nobody else was given the time of day, Jesus looked down and loved me and saved me. And then he'll say, I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for my wife and my kids and my grandkids and now great grandkids. And, and so he'll just begin to recite the blessings of God and the things that he has to be thankful for. And then when he's done, and that may take a little time, because listen, we call him Peepaw. Peepaw can take as long as he wants. You understand what I'm saying? Maybe you got a Peepaw in your family. And so Peepaw was a pastor for over 40 years. Peepaw can talk for a little while if he needs to. Thankfully, I got that gene. I've only got about an hour and a half worth of content today. We'll be fine. It'll be good to go. But when he gets done, he takes his candle and he lights the next person's candle and then they just begin to recite the blessings of God. I'm thankful for Jesus. I'm thankful for my faith. I'm thankful for my family. And so they just go through that. And so it doesn't matter how old you are. If you can talk, you're going to say what you're thankful for. I remember being a very, very young child and having to remember that it was my turn when my candle was lit and you gotta think about not burning yourself and you gotta think about talking and it's just a lot of stuff. This last year, 
Our kids uh, had the opportunity to participate. My daughter, Kinley, who's eight, she's the youngest of our four. Uh, Kinley, it was her turn. And so she had made some notes. And so she was prepared, right? And so she, she gets ready, it's her turn. We light her candle. And so she's holding her notes and she starts talking about, I'm thankful for, for God and for Jesus and for my mom and my dad and my brothers. And she's thankful for her pillow and she's thankful for medicine. And she, I mean, she just went through the whole list. But what happens is we get to this place where we begin to reflect on the blessings of God. And naturally my brain flips to looking forward. As I begin to look back, I start to look forward. Maybe you're like that as well. So I get to about Thanksgiving every year and I begin to think about, okay, what does the next year hold for my life? What is it that I want to accomplish? Maybe you've already set some New Year's resolutions or some goals. Anybody already done that? You've already set your goals or New Year's resolutions? Well, if you haven't, because it looks like nobody in the room has, maybe four of us, you got about 48 hours. So you need to get on it, okay? Because if you get to January 1st and you haven't already set them, it ain't gonna happen. That's just not going to happen. So you set some goals, you set some New Year's resolutions. And so what happens is I begin to say, okay, what do I want to do? I want to, I want to lose some weight. I want to, you know, I want to spend less money. I want to save more money. Anybody ever heard these before? This is some of the things we all do. I want to spend more time with those that mean the most to me. And so we, we set these resolutions and we set these goals. Well, over the last few years, Corey and I have begun to prayerfully consider what is it that God wants to do in and through us in the coming year? Is there a word? Is there a theme? Is there something that specifically God is trying to use us to accomplish either personally in our family, in our church, or in some other avenue of life? And, and not every year do I hear specifically from God a specific word or a specific theme. But over the last couple of years, it does seem like as I've been seeking that, I've gotten a direction from God. Well, earlier this year in October, I was driving in my car. And I won't tell you that I always like have revival in my car. We're not always spiritual. I drive in Atlanta traffic like you do. I'm on the north side. They're worse drivers than they are on the south side. I'm telling you, I promise. And so sometimes you're just trying to make it. You're just trying to make it through the day. That's really what you're just trying to do. But I was in the car this day and I was just kind of listening to some music and just prayerfully thinking about this coming year. And it was October and all the things that were happening at the end of the year and maybe the beginning of the next year. And I very specifically felt like I heard the Lord and I don't always use language like that. I'm not saying I heard the audible voice of God in my car. I'm saying there was an impression on my heart that I knew it was God speaking. I know what his voice sounds like in my life. And I knew in that moment that God was telling me that for 2020, it was going to be a year of stretching. It's going to be a year of stretching. Now that word may not mean anything to you. Or perhaps when you hear it, there's something that begins to kind of conjure up in you and you start to think about what you've experienced, how you've heard it, what, how you've heard it used well, how you've heard it used poorly. I think about when I hear the word stretch, I think about my high school baseball career. Now, I know looking at me now, you think this guy's not athletic at all, but I was an athlete at some point in my past and I played high school baseball. And I remember at the beginning of every practice and every game, the coach would line us up in these lines in rows and we had to stretch and count and clap and do these certain repetitious things to get ready to actually hit and run and throw, which seemed like those were the skills that we needed to work on. But before we could throw, before we could warm up, before we could hit the first ball, we had to stretch. And I gotta be honest, there were times most of them that I kind of mailed it in. In the stretching, I didn't really focus my, my attention. I didn't really pay attention as much. I didn't really give it a maximum effort when we're stretching our arms and our legs and our back and our core. And we're doing all these different gyrations. And I'm like, just get me a glove and a bat and a ball and let's go. Well, at some point, 
My high school baseball career ended and my sports career eventually ended later in college. And I moved to one of the great games. I moved to slow pitch softball. That's what old people play, right? And so once I started getting a little older, I was too old for high school baseball anymore and college baseball. I decided, okay, I'm gonna play some slow pitch softball. And, uh, and I gotta be honest, I played Pastor JC in some slow pitch softball and he is not very good. He's not very good. So there's a lot of things in life he's good at. That's not one of them. Um, but when we played flag football, sometimes his team would win. I had never actually seen a white boy run that fast. I mean, man, he could run. Later, we found out it's because he was using performance enhancing drugs and he had to forfeit. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Don't tell him I said that. Don't tell him I said that. But when we played softball, my team won most of the time. Well, there was this one game where we had shown up. I mean, if the game started at seven, I rolled up at like 6.58. I got this. It's slow pitch softball, right? I come up in the first inning. I have not stretched at all. First pitch I see, I hit it in the gap, past the outfielder, to the fence. I go running like I am being chased by somebody with a knife. You understand what I'm saying? Like I take off running out of the box. I hit first base, I make the turn, I'm moving towards second. And as soon as I hit the base and made the turn, I heard the pop. I had torn my hamstring. I go crawling to second base. I was safe in case you're worried about that. And so I got there and I think eventually my team did win that game. But I learned something on that night at that game and in the next few weeks and months as I had to go through rehab and I had to go to the doctor and I was slowed from the things that I wanted to do and it hurt to do things that it had never hurt to do. And now when it rains a little bit, I still get a little pain in the back of my hamstring. Here's what I learned. I learned when we do not prepare ourselves, when we do not stretch, we limit how much we can accomplish. When we don't stretch ourselves, we are limited in what we can accomplish. When you came in today, hopefully you received a rubber band. If you didn't, you can grab one on the way out. But uh, throughout the, the time we have left today, I'd love for you just to kind of hold that and maybe just to stretch it a little bit. I'm not asking you to break it. You have the strength to break the rubber band. I'm asking you not to flip it at me if I say something that uh, hurts your feelings. I'm asking you to hold on to it. But as you stretch this rubber band, just think about what it was created to do. It was created so that you could stretch its ability to hold more. You, you could stretch it beyond its, its form here, stretch its capacity, stretch it two or three or four times what it does when it's just sitting still in your hand. Think about if you came up with two or three or 400 pieces of paper, you could take the rubber band that you're holding and you could stretch it out and actually fit it around those two or three or 400 pieces of paper. But if you're holding it like this in your hand, there's no way it could do that. It has to be stretched for it to perform at its optimal state. And I believe that you're created the same way. I believe that you were created to be stretched. And so over the last few months, I believe God's been working on me about stretching myself and stretching my faith and stretching myself physically, mentally, emotionally, and as asking God to do something that's bigger than I can do on my own. And so I think that positions us well for this next year. And so what I want us to do today is I want us to spend our time really in one verse of scripture. Now we're going to spend, we're going to jump to some other verses to kind of complement what we're doing, but we're just going to spend some time really in one verse of scripture. It's a pretty famous verse of scripture. It was actually quoted last night by Trevor Lawrence, who's the quarterback of Clemson after they beat Ohio State. He, he quoted this verse in the interview that he gave on the field as soon as the game was over. It's in Ephesians chapter three, verse 20, and it says this. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. 
This verse of scripture is found in the closing moments of the book of Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesian church there in the city of Ephesus that the apostle Paul writes. It's his benediction. It's his closing. And he's closing in prayer as he's writing to this group of people. Now, many of the other letters that he writes in the New Testament that we have in in our Bible are him responding to something that that church has written to him about. They've asked questions about faith. They've asked questions about the church. They've asked questions about the formation of faith. And so a lot of his letters are written back to them to correct bad theology or to correct bad practice, but not the book of Ephesians. One of the major themes of the book of Ephesians that's written to the city, the people in the city of Ephesus is the idea that they should think bigger, dream bigger, trust God for more, grow their faith. And so at the end of this letter, the benediction of what Paul has been saying, he says to them, now to him, He's focusing their heart and their minds and their attention on God. Now to him, now to God, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. I think if we're going to stretch ourselves this next year, this is a great verse for us. Maybe you write it down. Maybe you put it in your phone. Maybe you find a way to keep it in front of you as you walk into this next year believing that God wants to stretch you. If you want to stretch this year, lift your hand. If you want God to do something greater in your life, more in your life. Well, I want us to look at this, this verse over the remainder of our time. And I want us just to kind of break this verse down and spend a few minutes in each of these passages, each of these parts of this verse that I think will help us to get a greater understanding of maybe how God desires to stretch each of us. Let's look at what he first said. He said, now to him who is able to him who is able. Here's what I believe. Stretch must start with God or is it, it is not sustainable. Stretch must start with God or it isn't sustainable. If it starts with you, if it starts with me, it will not last. But if we believe that it starts with God, then what we know is that it can last because God is eternal. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has the power. He is able to do more in a moment than you and I could do in a lifetime. If stretch doesn't start with God, it isn't sustainable. Now, how often do we have a need in our life? We have something that comes up and our first response, our first reaction is to figure out how we can solve it. Now, not you, the person sitting beside you, people at other churches, that's what they do. I know your first thought is I'm taking this to God. I'm going right to God. He's gonna solve this issue in my life, but the person sitting beside you doesn't always do that. The first thought that they have is how can I fix this? How can I solve this problem in my life, fix this issue in my life? You, you, you come to a place where you have a financial need maybe, and your first thought is I got to work harder. Now I believe in hard work. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Don't write pastor JC an email and tell him that I came and told you not to work hard. That's not what I said. What I believe is that you, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, should be the hardest working person on your job. I believe that as a living sacrifice, when people see you on your job and they see you at work, they should see your witness as a testimony to Jesus Christ by the way that you work on your job. Like if here's the deal, if they come to you because you're the guy or the girl that shows up a little bit late and leaves a little bit early and takes longer breaks than you're supposed to, and everybody else is cleaning up your mess, and then through conversation, they find out that you go to go church. I know your pastor, he's gonna tell you to change churches. He don't want you trading on his name. He don't want you trading on the name of this church if you have a bad work ethic. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you should be some of the hardest working people in this community. But if you are only working hard because you view yourself as your source, 
you're missing the point. If you have a financial need, you have a financial issue, you're asking God to do what only God can do. He is your provider. You are not your provider. Everything that you have comes from God. And the moment that you realize that, the moment it unlocks something inside of you. And so we say, okay, if I've got a need, then I turn to God. Maybe you get a bad report from the doctor and your first response is I need to change my diet. I need to work out more. I need to you know, do this or do that. And those are all good things. But if you do those things because you believe you are your healer, you've missed the point. He is our healer. He is the great physician. When you have a bad report from the doctor, when you have a medical issue, you take it to God and you say, you knit me together in my mother's womb. You know the way that the cells of my body are supposed to work. And so I'm asking you, God, to perform a miracle in my body and reverse the report that the doctor just gave me. I'm not going to view myself as the great physician. I'm going to take it to the great physician. You understand what I'm saying today to you? Here's, here's what I've, I've heard before. Prayer should not be our last resort. It should be our first response. Prayer should be our first response, not our last resort. As soon as you hear that you have a problem, as soon as you discover that you've got an issue, immediately we turn and take it to God. That's what we should do because God is able. Zechariah chapter four, verse six says this. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit says the Lord almighty. Now, this whole chapter here is a part of the story of Zerubbabel. He's actually in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. I talked about him a little bit in our Christmas services at our church last week. He was a part of the the story, the genealogy of Christ after the Babylonian exile, and he helps lead the people out of captivity, and he goes and governs in Jerusalem, helps to rebuild the temple there. But as a part of that, in Zechariah chapter three, he receives a vision of olive trees and of lamps, and he's trying to determine what do they mean. And so he goes to God and says, God, what does this vision mean? And in Zechariah 4, 6, God lays out the meaning. He said, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. God is saying to him, it's not your might or your power or your own strength that will help to raise the temple. It is the power of the spirit of God that will raise the temple back to life. Now, the word might is about the collective strength. When I look around Go Church, I see a collection of strength. I see a collection of of gifts and talents and abilities, and it's amazing what God has done. But if this church, just like my church, ever gets to the place where we think it is our might, it is our abilities collectively, it is our strength that has grown the church or has done the great things that God, it's the beginning of the end for us. Because it is not by our collective strength It is by the power of the spirit of God alone. Might is about our collection of strength, but power is individual. You have some power. You have some ability. You have some talent. It doesn't take very long to walk around a place like this and see the talent and the ability of the people of this church. And if you're not using that gift, if you're not using that talent on one of the go teams, I'm telling you, that's the thing you need to do in 2020. You need to, you need to stretch yourself and, and, and get onto one of these go teams and use the talent, the ability, the power that God has gifted you to use. But if you ever get to the place where you think it's your ability, your power, your strength, your talent, your charisma, that is what makes the difference. It's the beginning of the end for you because it is not by might nor by power, but by the spirit of God that anything happens that's worth happening. Let's continue looking here to what Paul said here in Ephesians chapter three. He said to do exceedingly abundantly. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly. Here's the question for all of us today. Is your God an exceedingly abundantly kind of God? Is he an exceedingly abundantly kind of God? Maybe your translation says immeasurably more. 
Is he an immeasurably more kind of God? The, the problem that most of us have is we're praying to a God that we've created in our own image. We're not praying to a God who created us in his image. We're praying to a God we've created who's like the best version of us. It's like if we could be better, if we could give up those little vices that we have, if we could stop the little white lies, if we could be a little more faithful and a little more this, and that's what God must be like. That's not who God is. Isaiah 55 verse eight and nine says this, where my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's ways and his thoughts and his perspective, it's all different than yours. It's different than mine. When Jesus was teaching us how to pray in Matthew chapter six, verse nine, he started it this way. He said, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Before we ask God for anything, Jesus wanted us to make sure that we had a proper perspective of who God was. Who are we praying to? We're praying to a God in heaven who has a unique perspective of the things that we're walking through. You and I are walking day by day in the trenches, in the stuff, in the circumstances of our lives. And yet God is over all of those problems. He's in heaven looking down on the circumstances that we're walking through every single day. And then he says, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Set apart are you, God. You are unique and different. You are not just a better version of me. You are God. A.W. Tozer says it this way. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. When you think about God, what do you think? What do you think when you think about God, do you think about a God who just does the bare minimum? Or do you think about a God who can exceed the need? I think about the story of Jesus who was feeding the 5,000 one day, one of the most famous stories of Jesus in the gospel accounts. And it's encouraging to me to think that sometimes people show up to church a little bit unprepared. You ever shown up to church unprepared? You were fighting in the car, pulling in the parking lot. It's like, I'm telling you, I'm not. You're going to put on a smiling face and act like we love one another. Let's go. How y'all doing, right? <laughs> Just other churches. Ain't nobody ever done that here at Go Church, right? We show up to church unprepared sometimes. Well, that's what happened here with the 5,000. They showed up to hear Jesus, the son of God, teach. And nobody thought to bring lunch. Nobody. You just show up to the 945 gathering and you're like, well, we get out about, you know, 11, 15 or so. I mean, we got plenty of time after that to go to lunch and, you know, it's fine. We don't need to bring a snack. It's fine. We, we're, we'll be fine. Nobody thought except one young boy. Now, I know enough about young boys because I'm raising three of them with my wife. They didn't think about bringing lunch. That little boy's mama packed him a lunch. You understand? And so she sent with him two and a half fish sandwiches, five loaves and two fish. And she said, if you get hungry... Here's your little something, right? If Jesus goes a little long, if the preacher closes three or four times, you ever heard that? He just kind of just keeps circling the wagon here until it starts to make sense in his head. And you're like, we got this preacher. And that's what Jesus maybe have done. I don't know. And so everybody's a little bit hungry. And so the disciples say, hey, everybody's hungry. What are you going to do about it? It's like, what am I going to do? What do you have? Here in Atlanta, one of my favorite restaurants is the varsity. It's like, what do you have? What do you have? What do you have? Jesus started the varsity. That's what I believe. He looked at those disciples and he says, what do you have? And they were like, well, we don't know. Let's go look. And so they find this young boy who brought these two and a half fish sandwiches. And so they bring it to Jesus. And in this amazing picture, this mirror image of the communion last supper, Jesus takes what they put into his hands. He blesses it. He breaks it. 
and he gives it. And all of them eat. All of them, thousands of people who were unprepared, who didn't have what they needed because they were close to Jesus, got exactly what they needed. And so they just, they eat. And that would have been enough. That would have been the incredible miracle, right? That would have been like, oh, we were unprepared and yet God blessed us and God gave us what we needed and exactly what we needed. And that would have been enough. But at the end of the meal, the disciples gathered baskets. I don't know why they had baskets. I don't know if somebody made baskets while Jesus was preaching, but they had baskets and they walked around and they picked up 12 baskets full of leftovers. Anybody had leftovers at Thanksgiving or Christmas in the last few weeks, right? This is what's happening. The disciples walk around. They're like, well, there's, there's some food left over. Let's go gather it up. 12 baskets full of leftovers. Jesus didn't just provide what they needed. He provided more than what they needed. He was trying to teach those thousands the same thing that he's trying to teach me and the same thing he's trying to teach you. He is not just a God of enough. He's a God of more than enough. Immeasurably more. Exceedingly, abundantly. That's who God is. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly. Perhaps this year, the thing that needs to stretch the most is your view of who God is. Maybe God's not big enough in your mind. Maybe when you're praying, you are praying to a God that you hope can instead of a God that you know can. And maybe you need to stretch your mindset a little bit about who God is. Let's keep going here, what Paul says to us. He says, above all that we ask or think. Above all that we ask or think. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. Now, here's what I want you to know today. God is not your magic genie. He's not. He, he's not just waiting on you to say, I wish I had. So you can go, you got it. You got two more wishes. That's, that's not who God is. And yet, this same God is who the psalmist was writing about in Psalm 37, 4, when he said this, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And so he's not your genie but he is a loving heavenly father. My, my kids who are here with us today, all four kids, when they ask me for something, I don't say, go get it for yourself. I mean, I do a little bit sometimes, okay? Cause I'm not perfect like God. What do I say? I'm, I'm a father. If they need it, I want to provide for them. When my children were young and they needed food, I didn't say, go find it and go hunt and gather for yourself. Two-year-old, go get it, right? I said, no, I've been to the grocery store. We've stocked the fridge or the pantry. Let's Let's make you some, I've provided for my children because they have a desire, they have a need. There's something that they want. The problem for so many of us is that when we come to God, we ask for the wrong reasons. He says that if we delight ourselves in the Lord, he will give us the desires of, the, of our heart. I've always read that to mean that my desires, the closer I get to God, line up with God's desires. That when I'm delighting myself in the Lord, the things that delight me are the things that delight God. That my desires become more like his desires and not like my own desires. So that now the things that I'm asking God for are things that God naturally wants to give to me because they fulfill his purposes in my life. Now, here's what I believe. I believe you could ask God for a car. Some of you don't believe that. You don't have enough faith for that. I believe it. I've pr anybody ever prayed for a car? 
I've prayed for, I got an amen back here, right? I've prayed for a car before. We try to keep my wife and our kids in a nice car that's dependable. I drive a little beater around that gets me from point A to point B. Most of my life is what I've done. There was a time when I was looking for a car. I was in the market for a car. My dad found a car. He was online. He found one. He said, this might be the nicest car you've ever owned. It was a 1997 Volvo, which sounds awesome, except it was well past 1997 on the calendar. You understand what I'm saying? So I, I, I flew to where that car was because it was a good deal. And I got in that car after I paid the man and I started driving it back to my house and I'm driving down the interstate and all of a sudden, whew, something flies past me. And I thought, oh my God, I have hit a bird. I have, I have killed something, one of God's great creations. And so I pulled over. I'm like, what in the world has happened? And I get out of my car, the nicest car I've ever owned, according to my dad. And I go to the front of that car and it is now missing a headlight. <laughs> it had a headlight when I bought it. And before I could get it to my house, I got one headlight. It was terrible. I mean, I have prayed for some cars in my life. God, give me a car. But here's what I believe. If you are praying and asking God for a car so that you can post it on Instagram and all of your followers will covet this car that you have and go, look at you. Look how nice and shiny and sparkly that car is. Man, what do you do for a living? And how do you afford that? And if you're wanting it for that reason, I don't think that you delight yourself in the Lord. I don't think your desires are in the right place. I don't think God's gonna give you a car. He's not on the hook to answer that prayer. But if you say, God, I don't have a car. I don't have a dependable car to help provide for my family to get me to and from work. I'm wasting tons of time on public transportation. I'm wasting tons of money on Uber. I don't want an Uber driver. I wanna be somebody's Uber driver maybe. God, I need you to give me a car so I can provide for my family. If you pray that today, whether you have enough faith for it or not, I've got enough faith for you that you could walk out of your house tomorrow and go to your driveway and there might be a car there. It may be missing a headlight, I don't know. But there might be a car there with a bow on the top and it's a December to remember for you, baby, because there's a sign on it that says to you, love Father God. I believe God could do that because if I delight myself in the Lord, he will give me the desires of my heart. Do you know that the Bible actually says you have not because you ask not? I think I thought for most of my life that was a fortune cookie. I, I didn't know that was in the Bible, but it's right there in the Bible. You do not have because you do not ask. But let's look at it in some context. James chapter four, verse two and three says this, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. God is not your genie. You don't just get to ask him and get it. So often we have not because we don't ask God for it. Prayer is our last resort and not our first response. We try to create it for ourselves. And so we don't have because we are not asking God. But maybe we ask God and yet we do it with the wrong motives we do it for our own pleasure. We do it for the perception of who we are if God were to actually do that. And God is not on the hook to answer that prayer. But when I delight myself in the Lord, he will give me the desires of my heart. Perhaps this year, 
I need to stretch what I'm asking for. I got to purify my motives to start, but maybe after I purify my, my motives and I, I make sure that I'm delighting myself in God and the things that delight God, I need to stretch what I'm asking God for and believe that God actually can. So often what happens to us is we start out asking God for a lot. We start out believing that God can do anything. Anything is possible. Nothing is impossible with God. And then God doesn't answer our prayer in the way that we thought he was going to answer it. And so the next time we pray, we lower our faith just a little bit. And then the next time we pray, we lower our faith just a little bit more until we come to the place that maybe some of you are at today where you're only praying and asking God to do what you can actually do on your own if he doesn't show up. We say, God, I, I want you to stretch my faith. Stretch what I'm asking and thinking and imagining you for. That's what I believe. Some of you today, you need to ask God to save your spouse. You've prayed it before, but you say, God, I want you to save my husband or my wife. And I'm believing it's going to happen. God, I'm believing that you're going to send me a spouse. I want a spouse. I'm believing God that you're going to send me someone to share my life with. I'm believing God, you're going to send sons and daughters back home God, I'm believing you're going to redeem what has been lost. I, I'm believing God that as I put you first in my finances, that you're going to turn my finances around. I'm believing, I'm asking you for more. I'm going to believe God that I can take this step of faith and start this business and go back to school and have another baby or adopt a baby. God, I'm believing that this is the year you're going to set me free from the addiction that's been holding me bound for so long in my life. I'm going to ask and imagine God that you actually are able to do what I'm asking you to do because I'm delighting myself in you. I want freedom and I want purpose and I want the things that you can provide. Do you believe he can? Do you believe that he can? Absolutely. So why not ask him for it? Maybe this year you need to stretch what you're asking God for. So let's wrap this up. Let's look at the last thing that Paul said. According to the power that works in us. Maybe your translation says, according to his power at work in me. According to the power at work in us. Do you know that God desires to put his power in you? Acts chapter one, verse eight says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Colossians tells us that you and I have Christ in us, the hope of glory. God desires to put something inside of you that will make the difference. It's not your power, it's not your ability, it's not your might, not your strength, it's not your charisma. You're awesome, but you're not that awesome. It's God's power. And he desires to put his power inside of you. You are the kind of person that God desires to use. You're the vessel that God wants to place his power in for his purposes. We've been spending all of our time today at the end of the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter three, the benediction, the closing prayer. But I want you to look at how the apostle Paul started the letter of Ephesians. Look at this in Ephesians chapter one, verse 19 and 20. He said, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. Romans tells me that the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you and lives in me. That's an amazing thought to me, blows my mind to think that the same power of God that raised Jesus Christ out of that tomb lives inside of you. 
lives inside of me. You have access to the power of God. There's greatness in you because of the power of God. Look at your neighbor and say, there's greatness in you. Now look at the person that was your second choice and say, there's greatness in me too. There's greatness in you. Not because of your greatness, but because of his greatness. Not because of your ability, but because of his ability. He is strong when I am weak. There is power available to you. Perhaps this year, what needs to stretch is your view of who you are. I don't know who you were. I don't know what you did. I don't know the shame and the guilt and the regret that you carry every single day. I don't know. But here's what I know. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. There is now no guilt or condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When I come to God, he puts the greatness of his power inside of me, not for me to feel good about me, but for his purposes on the earth. He doesn't need to, he could do it however he wanted to. And yet he chooses to include you and to include me in the grand story that he's writing in the earth. And he's looking for vessels, vessels he can deposit his power into for great purposes on the earth. So that when you walk onto your job, they see that there's something different in you. They go, man, there's a, there's a power. There's a presence about you. There's a greatness in you. And you go, no, 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 it's not me. That's the power of God. It's not by my might nor my power, but by the spirit of God. That's what is happening. So do you want to stretch this year? You want to stretch in 2020? You want God to do more in your life? You want to increase your capacity to do more and to see God accomplish more great things in your life? Then we stretch then we stretch. But what if, what if, what if 365 days from now, you prayed and asked God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or imagine to send you a spouse. And one year from now, you're as single as you are today. Do you still believe he's able? Before you answer it, I want you to think about this. If you pray today on the last Sunday of this decade and you ask God to double your business and a year from now, it's no bigger than it is today. It might actually be smaller. Is he still able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask? What if in this day and age, where with all the social media and YouTube channels and Instagram and Facebook, and we can see where everybody else is winning. What if what God wants to do in you doesn't look like winning to everybody else? What if it feels like you're standing still? What if it feels like you're backing up? What if you say, I'm, I'm trusting a God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I can ask or imagine. And a year from now, you are still a stay at home mom who wants to pull her hair out every afternoon at 3.15? Is he still enough? What if you're asking God today to accomplish something great in you? And God actually wants to accomplish something great through you.
and you don't get to reap the benefits like you thought you would? What if what you're asking God to accomplish in and through your life doesn't happen in your lifetime, but it happens through the children that you're raising? What if, what if you're asking God to double that business and sales don't double, but systems double and procedures and policies double and you go, oh man, I hate policy, I hate, but what if it's setting you up for 2021 or 2022? We don't always know what God is up to. And so the question is not, God, are you able? He is able. The question is, God, do I trust you enough if you answer my prayers differently than I'm praying them? God, I'm asking you because you're able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that I can ask or imagine. Well, guess what I just told you? I just told you that no matter what you ask or imagine, God is going to change it. He's going to exceed it. He's going to do it more abundantly than you thought. He's going to change the answer to the prayer so it may look different than what you asked for. It may be something completely different than what you thought it would turn out like because you've asked it one way, you imagined it one way, you thought it one way, and yet God, who is able, knew what you needed. He knew. He knew you couldn't handle a business twice its size. And so he's gotta spend the next year growing you before he can grow it. And he knew, he knew you wanted to marry somebody, but he needs to walk you through a process in the next 12 months to set you up for the next 60 years. So you're ready. He is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or imagine. Do we trust him? Do we believe that he can? I'm gonna ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. The worship team at both campuses is gonna come. Campus pastors are gonna come. I'm just gonna ask you to bow your head right where you're at. Nobody's looking around. If you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, I know that the decision that I need to make today is to stretch my faith to trust God to be the Lord and Savior of my life, to forgive my sins and to take control of my life, to give up control to God. That's the decision I need to make. I need to stretch myself today. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? You say, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Thank you so much. You can put it right back down. Thank you so much. Now, if you would say, Jeremy, for me, I wanna stretch. I wanna stretch my faith. I wanna view God for who he really is. I wanna view myself for who I really am. I wanna ask and imagine and think bigger thoughts, grander thoughts, thoughts that trust in the faith and the strength and the power and the might of God, not my own. And I'm asking God to do more in this next year, even if it looks a little different than what I'm praying. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? God, we love you today and we thank you for who you are. We thank you, you're a God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or imagine. And so God, I'm asking you now to deliver your power to us. I'm asking you now to forgive and to save those who need to be saved today, who've acknowledged their need for you to be the Lord and savior of their life. God, would you do what I cannot do and forgive sins and change eternities right now in this moment? God, we celebrate with heaven for those that have made this decision. And God, I pray now for those who are asking you to stretch them God, they're asking that in this coming year that you would do more 
You would grow the things that are around them. You would save those who are lost. You would heal those that are sick. You would provide those who have lack. And God, we ask you now to do that. Stretch our faith, stretch our trust in you. God, help us to stretch ourselves physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, in every way so that we do not limit the capacity of what you can do in and through us. But God, we also pray that you would help us to trust you more. That God, if the answered prayer looks different than the prayed prayer, that we would believe that you're a loving heavenly father that knows what we need even before we ask it. And so we trust you now. In Jesus' name we pray.